This episode of Brailcast Extra is made possible thanks to a grant from the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information about the Trust, visit its website at wcmt.org.uk. Welcome back. Coming up this time, advocating for Braille in the wider world. A session recorded on Tuesday the 16th of March 2021 and introduced by Dave Williams. Good evening and a very warm welcome to the Braillist Foundation Tuesday Evening Masterclass where we endeavour to share different ways in which you can use Braille. And tonight we'll be focusing on advocacy for Braille, how you might get Braille or more Braille in your lives and in the world generally. So we'll be diving into that with uh, our lead this evening, which is Holly Scott Gardner. Hello, Holly. Good evening. Hi, Dave. Looking forward to this one, Holly. I know you've done a lot of great work around uh, advocacy, so uh, I'm sure you've got some fantastic tips uh, to share with everybody. Well, hopefully, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And also, I should mention that tonight is the final braille masterclass in the current series so on behalf of everybody holly thank you so much for uh, taking the lead on these and if you missed any of the masterclasses you can find recordings on the braillist website at braillist.org slash media braillist.org slash media and on that page you will find an audio recording of each session and uh, if they're not there already coming soon Uh, We will be providing um, transcripts as well, uh, and you should also find notes, so a short handout uh, with notes that summarise the kind of key points that you need uh, that go along with each session. Uh, And if you have any follow-up questions, then of course you're always very welcome to join the Braillist Forum. You can do that from braillist.org slash forum, and that's a, a place where you can discuss all things Braille with uh, with other people. It's a, it's a Google group, uh, so it comes in your email, so you don't need to sign up for any social media platforms or anything like that, uh, and we get all kinds of topics on there. So on to this evening. Uh, ho- our moderator this evening is uh, Ben, who's uh, pushing the buttons. Good evening, Ben. Good evening. How are you? Really good, thank you very much. And so you'll be looking out for those hands when we get to questions and you'll let everybody know uh, what they need to do to to raise their hand and then you'll come to people and invite them to unmute. I will do indeed. Excellent. So uh, a little bit of a different session to finish off this series. We've, we've talked a lot in recent weeks about different ways of using Braille for learning music, for learning languages, for making notes for yourself, making notes for others. Uh, We've looked at how you use Braille with uh, various kinds of technology, but actually sometimes it's the shortage of Braille, it's the availability of Braille that is the problem. Sometimes you want some information in Braille or you actually need that information in Braille and it can be difficult to get. So uh, sharing her lived experience and advocacy skills and a whole load of tips on advocating for more Braille, Holly Scott Gardner. Dave for that introduction. So today, as was mentioned, I'm going to talk about advocacy and specifically how we advocate for Braille. And last week we sort of touched on this in one sense where we discussed how to get Braille devices or Braille transcription in work and in university. But this is going to look at getting Braille in a more wider sense. So how do we get Braille in the real world? How do we get Braille when we're out and about? How do we 
say to a restaurant, well, there's no braille to say which bathroom is which in your restaurant, I'd really like to know. Or how do we make sure that signs in our local train station have braille? So I'm going to go through some of the advocacy strategies I've used, but I'm not going to go through them at great length because what I really want to do is open this up for you to ask questions. Maybe you've had a specific situation where you thought, oh, well, I really wanted Braille here, but I actually didn't know how to get it or I tried and um, I was met with resistance. So what could I have done next? And I will give you some advice about that. Now, I will say that every advocacy situation is different and there are situations where a strategy works one time and doesn't work another time. And sometimes you have to look at the different people you're approaching and think, well, how am I going to approach this person? So I'm going to go through a couple of different ways of doing this. So firstly, when advocating for Braille in places like restaurants and shops. So you might want Braille in a restaurant. The example I always give is um, on the bathrooms or in restaurants on the menu to get Braille menus. And I tend to approach this in a more educational way. So I make sure that if possible, I have a face-to-face -face interaction with the person there because I think that can be incredibly helpful if it's particularly um a small independent business you can often get hold of the actual owner and I think for them seeing you really helps obviously in COVID this isn't necessarily possible but then in COVID none of us are going out anyway so I suppose it doesn't really matter um, what I would do in this situation would be to open up a conversation with them and say I really love your business I love coming in here for lunch or you know I love coming in here for drinks after work and it would be really great if you had a braille menu and that there were braille signs on the toilet doors so I knew which was which. And I'd say, you know, braille menus are so helpful because it means I'm able to read the menu independently. It means I'm able to, um, you know, not take up so much of your time. And I, I talked to them about, you know, how braille menus really benefit me. And then the bathroom doors, I mean, I usually I just... I'm quite quick about that and I'm like well we all want to know which one we're going in and most people find that quite funny um, so I, I try and have this open educational conversation and I give them the opportunity to ask questions and I also try and point them in the direction of where they can get braille menus so I'll say well here are some companies which produce braille um, you're welcome to do your own search as well and so I direct people to these resources. And obviously this will vary depending on what country you're in. I'm obviously in the UK. I know people join our um, masterclasses from other countries. So what resources you point them to will vary. I do know some blind people who are able to transcribe things themselves and they have access to embossers and they said, well, I'll emboss you a braille menu if you can get me an electronic copy of your menu. And they do it as kind of a courtesy to build goodwill between themselves and that business. Now, you're definitely not obliged to do that. And I do think there's an argument to be made here that, well, no sighted person expects to have to essentially foot the bill for producing menus so why should we as blind people and I absolutely agree with that in terms of our right to access information a hundred percent I think absolutely right we shouldn't have to do that but I do know people who have chosen to do it because they feel like giving the community access to that information is more important and that's your choice as an individual which strategy you go through 
my hands are kind of tied because I'm dreadful at transcribing so nobody would want a braille menu that I'd produced so I point at businesses in the direction of someone else who can do it and will actually do a good job so I like to have this really open conversation with them and I take time to educate now if I'm in a situation that is when I'm dealing with a chain restaurant, I may approach it slightly differently because usually you can't get to speak to the owner. You know, you may get to speak to the manager, but they may not even make all the decisions if that is a chain restaurant. So what I tend to do then is reach out online and try and go higher up within the chain because I think ultimately, if it's a chain, do I just want the local branch of that chain to have braille menus? Or would I want every restaurant in the whole country to have them? And obviously the ideal thing is every restaurant in the whole country. And the thing is about chain restaurants, um, they have the budget to do that, or they should. Again, maybe less so at the moment because everyone's suffering economically, but certainly in pre-COVID times, you know, chain restaurants had the budget to do that. And also, dare I say, it's good PR for them. And again, we don't want to be a kind of charity case and uh, oh look the nice thing they did for the blind people because I don't think information access is something that is nice I think it's our right we have as much right to access information as anybody else but we also know that this is how the business is going to view it and ultimately I just sometimes I care more about getting access to information um, so what I will do when it's chain restaurants I will go higher up and I'll usually try and do email contact because I think with email contact, I have a record of that communication. And I, I do think that certainly the bigger chains have more responsibility to provide me with access to information because they do have the budget to do that. So again, you know, I explain that I'm a blind person. Um, I don't take as much time to educate because I'm doing it in writing and I think I'm not trying to build so much of a relationship with them. I'm probably going to end up getting a generic response anyway, at least at first, and I'm probably going to be passed around. Um, that's something you get kind of used to, but I try and write, you know, a nice email and explain I'm a blind person, access to Braille would, and very much the same points I would make face to face. And then I send that off. And hopefully, based on that, you will get a good response. Um, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're still met with resistance. And, and there are then different strategies you can take after that happens. Um, within chains, I always push it further and further up. Um, there is also the strategy of going and using social media as a tool. I, I think social media has great power in advocacy, but I also think we have to be really aware of the consequences as well. And certainly the consequences on us is very emotionally draining. Um, often what we say gets misconstrued and you will get a lot of backlash. So there are a lot of people who will think, well, you're just being entitled. So you've got to kind of have a thick skin and be able to deal with that if you choose to go down the social media route. I would never choose that as the first option with these kinds of things. Because I think with advocating for Braille, you can usually resolve it without having to go down that route. Um, if I'm advocating for accessible communication from people like the council or the national health service i take a very different strategy 
I take a much more rights-based approach. So we do have the accessible information standard. So we should get all NHS communication in an accessible format. We are absolutely entitled to that. Likewise, if we want information from the DWP, if we want information from the council sent to us, that is our right under the Equality Act as well. So I would be writing them a more abrupt email. I wouldn't, you know, again, I don't want to be rude, but I would say I'm requesting, well, at first I would, I would request the communication. And then if I don't get it, I would then be slightly more abrupt and say, you know, under the accessible information standard, it states that. And I will say for these kinds of communications, um, the RNIB has some excellent toolkits on their website. You can go to their page. Um, it's the campaigning resources page. But if you actually type in RNIB toolkits into Google, you'll get it. And they have really good toolkits for um, communicating with the council, getting stuff from the NHS, so, you know, the accessible information standard. And I would definitely advise using their toolkits because I think there's no point in reinventing the wheel. And actually the hardest thing about advocacy is that it's so emotionally draining. And if you've got a template that you can fill in, then absolutely take advantage of that. And I would say as well, um, you know, it's a tried and tested method as well with these RNIB toolkits. They've been used lots and lots of times and they are altered when, when it becomes apparent that they need to be. So I've used them and I would definitely recommend it. And you also have then the support of their campaigns team if it is something like um, NHS accessible communication, you can absolutely go to their campaigns team and, and their legal team and get support with challenging that. And they're doing a lot of work at the moment around accessibility, both um, in terms of communication, physical communication like letters and digital communication online. So I would absolutely advise making use of those resources. Now, slightly different if you're looking at things like train stations and you say want platform numbers to be written in braille i always find this very tricky because there's never it's never standardized it's never well we know that the platform number is going to be here on the platform so you could go to a train station every day for the next year and have no idea that there, there are braille platform numbers so i think this is a very difficult one but i also think it's something we absolutely have the right to advocate for and there's several ways you can do that. Um, train stations are usually managed by a train company, so it's worth reaching out to them. But also local councils do get involved when train stations are being redeveloped. So if you know there's a development project going on, try and get involved with that. And often there will be groups of people from the local area who are stakeholders, as it were, you know, and that they're going to be using that train station. They're often brought in to give feedback. So you can always push the blindness angle and go, well, surely you want disabled people and you want to consult on accessibility. Um, and I tend to try and do that if I know there's work being done, because I often find that if someone's doing work already, they're quite happy to throw in some Braille, seeing as they're already like digging up the concourse of the train stations, they may as well at that point. Um, so I try and kind of take advantage of those situations. So it's always worth keeping an eye on what is happening in your local community um, things like bus stops as well you know do you want the name or the number of the bus stop to be put on the stop and again you can go to the local council to talk about this you can also talk to bus companies um, and get them to push for it so 
I tend to go down all these routes and I, I send a lot of emails. And I think the, the most important thing is that whilst we do have a legal right under the Equality Act, often things can be resolved without ever having to go to court. And I, I really stress this because going to court isn't free. You don't just say, well, I'm going to take someone to court under the Equality Act and off you go. It requires putting a solid case together. You'll want legal representation. And you also know that if you lose that case, you would have to pay the fees of the person you've taken to court. So you really need to make sure your case is kind of watertight and has a chance of being successful. So although, again, there are things like legal aid, um, they will look at the likelihood of your case winning and it just takes so much energy when so much of this can be resolved through communication um there's a really amazing book about structured negotiation it's written very much with a united states mindset so a mindset of the ada but a lot of the principles apply because it's about actually how do you communicate with people how do you engage in this negotiation before you ever even take anyone to court um, and I think this is so important because ultimately it's much easier to talk to your local council and get, you know, bus numbers put in Braille through building a positive relationship than it is with taking them to court and essentially they'll never want to work with you again. Um, they might be quite scared of you, but it doesn't build a good working relationship. And I would very much say the same with businesses. Yes, you have a right to access. And I think if if that right constantly gets violated, then it can be worth taking people to court. And I have I have over accessible communication. Um, I, I've done that and I've been successful, but only after negotiations have really broken down. And I think this is something I would say to you is always try negotiating first because it's going to be much less stress and much less hassle for you in the long run. And if you can get a team together, you know, particularly if this is something with a whole um, area-wide benefit, so I think of things like train stations and, and bus stops, find blind people in your area and do a joint letter writing campaign or get a petition together and get friends and family to sign that petition and then deliver it to the council or the train um, or the company that manages the train station because there is power in numbers and it's much less lonely when you're not the only one speaking out. Advocacy can be extremely lonely and extremely isolating. And I always think if I have a group of people, um, then that is really helpful. And also get someone to read your letters. If you do write letters and you're not very confident, get other people to read them first because someone may have really, really positive feedback that can help you strengthen that letter. So I always think, you know, even if you're asking someone who isn't a blind person, what they may be able to do is say, well, I think if you phrased it like this, this would be really helpful. And um, again, it's just a lot less lonely when you're not having to do it so much by yourself. So I've spoken for about 15 minutes without stopping. And I will say I want to open this up for some questions because I think um, it's very hard to give you 100 strategies for advocacy and tell you what to use where because it's always going to vary based on who you're dealing with. So I don't know if we do have any questions at this stage. We'll just give people a bit of time to raise their hands. And uh, if anyone's forgotten how to do this, we've, we've been doing uh, Zoom for quite a while now, it feels like. But the, the time that I don't say it will be the time that someone's forgotten. A few different ways you can raise your hands. You can press Alt-Y on Windows, Option-Y on Mac. 
Star 9 if you're dialing in through a telephone or if you're on an iDevice such as an iPhone, iPad or iPod Touch you can press the more button which is in the bottom right of your screen and then press the raise hand button and then we'll, uh, we'll bring you in to a talk but great stuff so far Holly you know I, I, I totally agree that sometimes you, you see these organizations and you just think well I want them to do this thing for me but where on earth do I start and it, it can seem quite daunting and but it's really really nice to hear about all of these uh, resources and approaches you've taken I didn't know that the RNIB toolkits existed actually I just assumed that it was something I was gonna have to put together myself um, so so great stuff there and um, got a couple of hands so we're gonna come to Tina first and then we're gonna come to James uh, so Tina you are now unmuted I am um, two things and um, firstly um, I personally have been having trouble getting um, information in Braille from the NHS and the different various different screening programs. Although I have had um, help from various forms, um, the most helpful thing I've found is um, apparently there's a company called Healthwatch, and they are brilliant. And I feel as though I'm actually getting somewhere now. That's really good right. to hear. And I'm glad you're, you know, making progress with that. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. And um, so that's good that they're really helping me, you know. And the other thing is, what about, because um, my local housing society, um, it doesn't matter how many times I've asked them to send me rent stamps and brown. I have to answer them every time I get a letter to if they could give me if they could do it in braille. And I say, oh you're the only person who asks for it in braille. But that shouldn't make any difference. No, absolutely. So what do I do for my next stage? Um what I would do is look at the RNIB Equality Act toolkits. They do have one which covers the Equality Act, and that's really helpful because what you can use that to is um, include relevant sections of the Equality Act, and that tends to scare people when you say, well, you know, it is my legal right under the Equality Act 2010, that. And you can even even reference the relevant section. So I'd go to the RNIB website and download this Equality Act toolkit. If that doesn't work, I would actually call the RNIB's helpline asked to speak to their legal team because this is the kind of thing look I can't say they will represent you right because it depends on what they're dealing with at the moment and how many cases they have but I found them very good even if they can't represent me at getting me connected with somebody who can and I would definitely recommend doing that because that's quite serious you know and you do need yeah I've been in 25 years now where I'm living, and it's you know when I've nagged, when I've asked them for it, the housing associate they they've done it on the other occasion. So have you um have you asked them by email or just over the phone? Um, my no phone because I don't really do email with them. So yeah, so if you can do email or if, even if you don't do email but you can get someone to assist you with it i would definitely send them an email because it's really good to have it in writing and then if they say yes they will and they email you back and then they don't you also have evidence that they've said they will and they were or if they say no you, you've got some really good evidence then so i i would definitely at this stage put that communication in writing and it's unfortunate that you have to do that like you shouldn't have to but it does show that, you know, and you can say I've been living here for this long and I've been asking 
and and then say you know it is my legal right under the equality act to have this communication in a format i can access and then um you you have that as evidence and that's probably at this stage your best bet because it sounds like negotiations have broken down and, and are not working thanks for that tina and uh, really really hope you get that resolved soon uh, 25 years goodness me um but some great advice from holly as well there I'm gonna come to james next and uh, we currently don't have any other hands after james but if anyone does have any uh, questions or comments we've uh, got plenty of time to get them in if you raise your hand uh, but for now james you are good to go Thank you. I was just going to come back and absolutely agree with Holly's point about getting somebody else to review your written letters. Um, we're all probably very familiar now with writing things in emails and letters and so on, um, but it's a very difficult medium to communicate well. So when you are just speaking, you've got the whole tone of voice thing. You can tell if you're angry or just being sarcastic and et cetera, et cetera. I'll give you one example. The sentence, why are you here? Just got four words, but it can mean all sorts of different things depending on how you stress each word. And Getting that right in cold print is very difficult. I remember writing a letter once to a railway station and I showed it to a friend and he just rolled about laughing because he saw the comedy value in it, which I hadn't seen at all. Um, so it's, it's, it's always a good idea to uh, get somebody else to read your letters. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I also think if you are a bit angry when you write the letter, which often when we're dealing, particularly if we're dealing with an advocacy situation where we've asked for this repeatedly and it just hasn't happened you might want a little bit of your irritation to come across but I think sometimes we can just go well I know certainly I can I sit down in front of my laptop and I'm like right I'm gonna put all of this down and then I have to take a day and then I read it back and I'm like yeah maybe 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 not that bit maybe I'll take that bit out because that's just too rude you know and I think sometimes we, we don't notice that you know like you said tone is is very hard to convey in print yeah the the day after review is always a great tip as well i've yeah. done that many times definitely and i think now because it's so easy to just quickly dash off an email you know it's it's sort of far far more immediate than it was previously and that's always a, a very good thing to bear in mind thank you for that james uh we've had fola uh, just raise her hand so we're gonna come to you now and you are unmuted, Fola. Thank you. Um, I don't have a question, just a comment, really. Um, going back to restaurants, I went into a chain once. It's the only restaurant I've been into where they offered me a Braille menu before I even asked. It was easy. Yeah, and I, I think that's always a really, really nice experience. And so whenever I am successful in getting a restaurant, you know, to get Braille menus, I say, well, it's always good if you see a blind person to offer it because they may not read Braille, right? But I always think sometimes I don't even ask because I just assume they won't have one. Whereas if they offer it, I'm like, oh, that's great. Absolutely. That was really Def impressive. 
Definitely. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I find that in restaurants, my preferred medium for menu reading, uh, if I haven't read it beforehand, because I am a little bit obsessive like that, yeah. haven't read the menu beforehand, um, I, I actually much prefer Braille to voiceover because, okay, yeah, sure, the Braille menu's bulky. But to be honest, if I'm in a busy restaurant, again, <laughs> pre, pre-COVID, if I'm in a busy restaurant, I'm probably going to have to have voiceover on quite loud in order to hear what's going on. And, you know, that is equally as as intrusive and and as attention drawing as a braille menu Um, and so i i much prefer braille in in that scenario well and it's also just being able to go by heading in the menu you know it's much easier to flip through a braille menu very very quickly and actually you know scan down see what's the heading for this page oh right now i don't really want to read that bit whereas actually often I would say website menus are notoriously badly formatted as well. And they rarely have, you know, a table at the top where I can quickly scan down the table of contents and click on the relevant section. You know, usually it's just a really poorly formatted PDF where I've got to essentially read through the whole thing. Um, So it's actually a lot quicker, I think, even in Braille. It's just, you know, it's a format that lends itself to that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And at least you you know if you get it in Braille, you won't be getting any images of text as well, which is uh, always fun. Um, We don't have any hands raised for now, so I think we're good to move on. Okay. So we've kind of touched on this, but what happens if it isn't working when you reach out to someone and you say, you know, I'd really like Braille in this situation. Um, What can you do then? And I think there are several things you can do. And again, for me, it very much depends on what the issue is. So I think sometimes um, you can team up with existing campaigners um, and maybe push it through with that. So I, I think of things like certainly bigger communications like DWP and things. I think, well, I can actually link in with if there's a campaign by a blindness organization to do with this or again like the nhs is a good one even though it's my legal right usually organizations are campaigning on this stuff so can i kind of jump on that and get involved and kind of get them to take some of the load off but also i find that often if you can become part of one of these campaigns your case will get pushed through quite quickly Um, And that's not right. That's not actually okay or acceptable, but it is the reality of things. And I've had this when I've, um, you know, participated in campaigns that really tackle an issue with a particular organisation. They will deal with my request for Braille. And, you know, hopefully as well, what this does is make a difference to the wider community. Um, I would say if you're negotiating with someone like the council, or train companies, definitely my tone changes the more I'm going back and forth with them. You know, the first time I tend to be very relaxed, very open. I often won't even mention the Equality Act first time because I think sometimes actually you don't need to. And sometimes you can put people on the defensive. Again, they shouldn't be defensive because it is your legal right, but they are. And it's about knowing how to communicate with people. So often I won't mention it the first time. If they come back to me and say, oh, well, you know, sorry, we don't do this. I'll say, well, you know, it, it does state in the Equality Act that, and I'll, re- you know, quote the relevant section. And I'll say, so, it, you know, I would really appreciate it um, if I could have this communication in Braille as it's so important to me. And I'm still not exactly abrupt, but I'm starting to include some legal 
language because I think as well that makes people a bit nervous and unfortunately it does make people take you more seriously again you shouldn't have to make people fear you or think oh she really knows what she's talking about in order to get accessible communication but often we do the reality isn't the same as what should be um if they then refuse then I then tend to send a very abrupt email and say I've communicated with your colleague regarding blah 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 um as I mentioned it is my legal right under the equality act 2010 to receive this communication in an accessible format if I do not hear from you within x amount of time I will be seeking legal representation I tend to only do this when it's things like um bills like council tax or something like that you know where I think I need this in a format I can read and this is just a joke I wouldn't for example do this with a restaurant because I think it's not worth it actually and um honestly you're probably not going to get anywhere with a case or you might you might get somewhere with a case but it the effort is probably going to be far greater than the eventual win and I think that's something for you to decide as an individual you may feel really strongly about this and you may decide no I'm absolutely taking this and sometimes you know the hill you choose to die on isn't always like the most sensible thing in the world and sometimes I'm dealing with an advocacy situation I think you know what this is it they have just irritated me so much this is I'm, I'm gonna take this to the end and sometimes you do that and that's fine too um but definitely I get much more snappy with people like the council or uh, the DWP and then what I would do is actually seek out legal representation but I wouldn't take them to court and again this is another nuanced thing just because you seek out the assistance of a lawyer doesn't mean you have to go to court what it does mean is that they can write a letter and again I've known RNIB lawyers to write letters or again if they won't write a letter or can't because they are really limited on time you know they have got so many cases they deal with and there's only so many hours in the day um they're very good at pointing you in the direction of um of lawyers who will either do work for free in some situations or who will assist you with getting legal aid just to write a letter and I've done this with organizations such as student finance um, I've sought legal help to write a letter and send them that letter and basically um, file a letter before claim so what you can do then is actually file this letter and you're essentially saying you will make a claim now that's not legally binding you don't ever have to make a claim but what you're doing with that letter before action is you're stating intent to in the end take legal action and that really tends to make people very very nervous because certainly with things like accessible communication we have a fairly clear-cut right to access that and um so most of these organizations particularly large ones particularly governmental ones um know they're not going to be on the winning side so they will often resolve the issue before going to court because it's much easier for them and the good news is it's much easier for you too because none of us want to actually have to go to court um because that requires a whole lot of going back and forth what i would say is always save emails this is why i said to tina try and unfortunately at this stage now do this communication through writing there's no evidence if you had a conversation um it's he said she said you know you could have a conversation with someone and they could say the most awful thing to you 
and there's still technically no evidence of it it's very very difficult then to take that any further what you can do though is if you put these requests in writing it shows that you've made these requests over x amount of time and it shows that you showed willingness to resolve this in a manner that wasn't taking legal action that's really important too because most of the time if you go to court straight away no one's going to take you seriously because they'll be like well you didn't actually even make a request so it's really important that you get all this stuff in writing and that you save it and this is something i've taken to doing is just when i'm starting these kinds of situations i'll make a new folder on my email and um, I have a folder unsurprisingly called student finance for example and that's where every email I send to student finance but also every email I receive from them gets put in that folder and you can use rules in Outlook to do that for you um, which is very useful you know it saves you a whole lot of time um, and then it means it's all kept together and the thing is, maybe they will go, oh, yes, absolutely. They'll then send you Braille and you never have to worry about that again. But it does mean that if they don't, um, a lot of the work of gathering that information has already been done. Because I think sometimes one of the reasons why we don't take the things further, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that it's just exhausting to constantly have to fight. So sometimes it's like, you know what, I'm just going to, I can't be bothered. I, I actually can't. But often it's because everything is in so much chaos and we think well i've got to try and gather all these emails they go back three years how am i going to find them all oh it's going to take me so much time um and stuff gets lost in time it, it just things disappear and yeah with, with a good search function you should be able to find everything but it, it can seem like a really daunting task to gather that evidence so it's always good if you can kind of start gathering it together without even meaning to. And then if you ever need it, you've then got it. But also if you don't need it, you haven't actually lost anything by doing that. It saves a lot less time. Um, I've also got to the stage where I track things in spreadsheets. If I'm feeling really ragey about a particular <laughs> need for braille again this tends to be much more with things like nhs communication um council i'm not going to do this with braille on bathroom doors in a local pub like I'm, I'm just not going to track it in a spreadsheet like i it's not that important to me i mean it is important and i will always keep having these conversations but i also only have so much energy and again you choose what hill to die on so maybe this is maybe this is the thing for you but what i do is i make a very simple spreadsheet i you know put down who i'm dealing with um what date i first reached out what i specifically asked for you know just a brief sentence of what was said um when i received a response what that response was who the res response was from um and then if i did speak to someone on the phone Again, I always go back to my student finance example. I'll always say, oh, you know, what's your name? And they should provide a name. If they don't, that's concerning. Um, but I would always note down their name and what time I made the call because it, it then just has that extra level of detail that if someone in, say, you do have to unfortunately take legal action and a year down the line they asked you well who did you speak to you know when did you speak to them you're gonna think I have no idea like I don't know I can't remember what month it was in let alone who it was so if you again record all that and it does seem like it is unfair okay I'm going to say this it's unfair we shouldn't have to do this we shouldn't have to track all this communication um but the truth is that 
we do and by tracking it it does mean that actually when it comes to potentially dealing with an advocacy situation it's a lot smoother than it would have been otherwise you know if, if it does go wrong and they don't actually respect your need for braille i would say i'm talking very specifically about braille here and i would say you know braille getting access to braille is your right under several pieces of legislation so um the accessible information standard for the nhs the equality act slightly less so for the new public sector digital accessibility regulations that that really applies to online content and there's no real consensus on does that apply to things like should they provide a brf and that's a very gray area that at the moment we're still working out what those what that law means in practice and how we're going to deal with that and, and this is something that lots and lots of people in the advocacy space are doing lots of work on but certainly the first two um accessible information standard and the equality act you have a right to braille under both of those in different contexts and it's absolutely your right to use those laws and to request it i would say you know never feel guilty for wanting information information access is so important and i think you know sometimes we're really scared to speak up but you know my advice always start off by trying to be nice um trying to build positive relationships and really take it as far as you think you have the energy for and if you can find a team find that team so i'm going to go again and see if anyone has any questions yeah so we've uh, had a couple of people join since we uh, last went to questions so uh, once again if uh, people would like to raise their hand for any questions and then i'll uh, i'll bring you in we had a comment in the chat earlier from matthew in relation to uh, letters versus uh, emails and he points out that you could send a letter in the post maybe using something like recorded delivery um, if email uh, isn't uh, an option um, yeah. a, a couple just while we wait for hands to, to be raised we've, we've got a, a couple already uh, so um, just while I uh, while I ask you my question we're going to come to Alan Dyke first and then Tina has uh, another comment uh, you touched briefly on um digital accessibility but i, I guess as at a high level overview let's say that i let's say that i have a you know I've, I, I've encountered a website that i i think is inaccessible um what can i what can i do to to try and resolve that in in a sort of advocacy role and maybe in a legal context as well because of course we are talking about braille here but we should remember that actually a website needs to work with a screen reader before we can read it on our braille displays yeah and i think particularly for deafblind people where they'll be accessing the computer or many deafblind people you know using braille this this is still very much a braille issue um there are several things you can do so Again, I would email the web developer and it really depends who it is. So I've had success with very, very small websites. So I'm a book blogger, so I get sent books by publishers. I read them in advance of publication in exchange for writing reviews. And one of the websites that I review on, um, you've got to rate the book out of five stars. And I couldn't click on the stars because they were just pictures. And I emailed the developer. It's a very small team. And I explained, you know, I'm a blind person. I use assistive tech. Um, 
this is the bit that I can't use. So I would say if it's only a small part of the website, always tell them in what situation you can't do it and what happens. And I would say, you know, my screen reader doesn't even read out that there are stars to click on. It just, it, I know I need to give the rating and I can't submit the review without it. And then within a week it was fixed. So I had this really, really nice interaction with them. And I think it built a really positive um, relationship between me and them because I did then put on social media afterwards. I was like, you know, really, really good to see and I tagged them prioritizing accessibility. You know, they're a very small team and they took my question really seriously. So I think that's something you can do. And I, again, I always approach with this kind of more friendly and open approach. Um, I have slightly less patience when it's a big organization. I have absolutely no patience when it's the public sector because um, they've known for two years that by September 2020 stuff had to be accessible. So that comes under the public sector digital accessibility guidelines. So any public sector websites and apps should be accessible. Now they will claim disproportionate burden or they also have to have an accessibility statement. It's really interesting if you go and read some of these, they'll claim disproportionate burden. Now you still absolutely can challenge them on that because certain things are blatantly not a disproportionate burden, they're just lazy. So I would say if it's public sector, again, I come back to the RNIB, but I only come back to them very strongly in this one because they're doing a lot of work around this at the moment. Um, that's a big area that they're working on and I know that they would be very grateful to hear where it's failing even if they can't take up again you know even if they can't take up your case they, they need to know this um I would also say it's worth mentioning web accessibility guidelines and saying you know there are web accessibility guidelines you don't it's not your job necessarily to talk them through it and I think if you don't have a technical background you're not even going to know how um and I would say suggest to them that they you know, consult with an accessibility professional um, with developers who have experience in access. So again, I would go through this email approach um, to start with. It can be very difficult because email addresses aren't always easy to get hold of. So sometimes you do have to go the, down the social media route, um, you know, and, and post something on their Facebook page or tag them on Twitter purely because you can't actually chat with them otherwise. So I tend to, again, go in with you know, I tag them, I'm having a problem accessing your website, I'm a blind screen reader user, would love to talk to someone at your organisation about this. So I tend to try and go in not being like, you're horrible. Um, if they then ignore me, I will, you know, maybe message them and go, reached out to you a few days ago, blah, 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 didn't hear anything from you. Um, it's very complicated because we get into the stage of websites being in, based in different countries and who has responsibility for what and that varies under different laws but you can you know take things down the legal route and again reach out to a lawyer i would reach out to a lawyer who has experience in disability rights because even now there's still a lot of confusion around digital accessibility because when certainly when the dda came into force um people weren't online really and certainly not like how they are now obviously when the equality act then came into force after 2010 yes people were but even in the last 11 years so much has changed in how we do business and how we use websites it, it's worth have, having a lawyer who really has experience in this so that that's my advice to start with Definitely. Great, great advice there. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to come to Alan Dite first and then after Alan, we're going to come to Tina. So uh, Alan, you are unmuted. Um, 
something happened today in Bristol, which I found very odd. Um, the local eye hospital sent out a survey to all blind people, telling them they were going to raise the appointments on a digital form so as people could deal with their appointments by, by you know, on the phone or something like that. They gave us lots of information about how we could do it, but the word Braille was not in the letter at all. They never offered Braille. And so I've got onto the person who sent it out to me and said, how did they send this form? Because I find it difficult to write in it. They said the form was sent out as a, a, DF, a, a PDF file. Mm -hmm. And so I can't, you won't be able to write in it. It's being checked on now and check it out. But I find it odd today, uh, something like a big hospital in Bristol are sending out forms specifically to blind people and are not even thinking Braille, let alone offering it. Yeah, I don't actually find this odd at all, unfortunately. Maybe that's more of a statement about how cynical I am. Um, I, I would say you... you ha so this is clearly a massive issue because, again, it's NHS, so it would come under the Accessible Information Standard, also possibly the Equality Act. Um, and, you know, if it's a PDF and it's just been sent out... Is it if it's on the web, it could even come under public sector regulation. So I would be contacting. Well, it depends on how they resolve it. If they resolve it with you based on your contacts, um, I would be OK with that, you know. But if they don't, I would refer this on. Not that I'm trying to create loads of work for the RNIB, but I, I do think it's worth giving their legal team a ring if it, if it doesn't get resolved because they have a lot of experience in this. And look at that toolkit that I mentioned for the accessible information standard because you can scare them with that as well. And you know you absolutely shouldn't have to, but unfortunately th this happens all the time. I've never had accessible communication from my ophthalmologist. You know you should go down that route because whilst there are ways of challenging the public sector um, digital accessibility regulations, it ends up <laughs> going to the um, Equality and Human Rights and their website doesn't actually comply with it. So they're the enforcement body and they don't comply with the legislation they're supposed to enforce. Now, I did hear on this, someone, I guess, wrote about the GDS. Yeah, the GDS are pretty good. It's worth reaching out to them. But again, if they can't resolve it, they will send it to the Equality um, Advisory Support Service who don't comply. So uh, it really begs the question, how is this going to be enforced when the enforcement body doesn't comply? But that's a whole other concern we have. The uh, the wonderful world of blindness and advocacy, hey? Yeah, Holly? yeah, oh yeah. Definitely. Um, well, so uh, we're going to come to Tina. No other hands after Tina. And I suppose it's also worth pointing out that we're you know, happy to take questions, but also what, what are your advocacy wins? What have you done that mm. has worked out well for you? Because uh, I'm sure there are plenty of others who have experience in this. I mean, I feel like we we kind of have to be advocates to a certain extent out of necessity, whether we want to or not sometimes. Yeah. Um, so we'll come to Tina next. Hey, Tina, you are good to go. Hi. Is it's that... actually my husband who's going to ask a question on ah. my behalf. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perfectly um, fine. I was going to say, we, Ian. we had some correspondence with the tax office and it said, if you want this in Braille, please request it. So I contacted the tax office and said, could I have this in Braille? They said, 
what is brown? Oh. So I said, and then, no, they then said, we can't do it in brown. So I said, well, that's funny because your leaflet says, well, can I request it? So if you can't do it, can I request it? And they said, oh, yes, we can. But what is brown? He oh. would be those little dots on bits of paper, would it? And of course it was. Yeah, I, I've come across this where people don't even know what Braille is and it's very frustrating. And I mean, I have a certain level of patience in some situations, but I would say I have absolutely no patience when it comes but, um, to you know, HMRC. The, with the hospital, um, the eye clinic and Tina's one in Adambrooks is the only one who doesn't write in Braille or contact to it by phone. They always do it by print every time. Yeah, so, so we got so we got onto the um, health watch people, and I believe now they are going to do it in Braille. Because if they don't, we can contact them. And I'd suggest to Alan, who's who's just been asking a question about this thing for Bristol, to find out who his local health watch people are, because they might be able to um, give them a little bit of a um, kick up the bum for not putting things um, in accessible format. The reason behind it is we've been told they're like a secret agent. Um, they're not very big, but they've got teeth like sharks. And they do get things done. Definitely. Um, great, great, uh, great tips there. And we'll be uh, sure to check out that organisation after the fact. And uh, I know that Fola's just put something in the chat around uh, Big Hack, which I believe is a project uh, that Scope have been working on. Big Hack have been uh, collaborating with GDS to uh, provide a uh, FAQ, frequently asked question sheet around uh, how to challenge website accessibility. So we'll put uh, that in the show notes as well. Um, I see that we uh, do have uh, another hand up. We have uh, Dave Williams, Brailus Foundation Chair himself. Uh, with a uh, question or a comment. Dave, take it away. I just want to reassure Ian uh, that HMRC do indeed send information out in Braille, and it's unfortunate that obviously the person you spoke with was unaware of that. Um, today I received my uh, tax code for the coming tax year. I know I get all the exciting letters. Um, <laughs> Uh, 2021, 2022, um, and it was in Braille. And uh, I have also received uh, other letters from HMRC in Braille, and they have an accessible media um, unit, which I believe is in Scotland, um, who produce um, their, their Braille for them. So um, if the person that you've got on the end of the phone you know, is, is unaware, then, you know, that might be more a, a, a training issue or, or an internal communication issue rather than, you know, the fact that they, they don't do it because they, they certainly do do it. So um, do persist and, and try to get your inquiry escalated to, a, you know, to somebody more senior within the organisation or ask them if they could check with their, their team leader um, about Braille provision um, because it certainly is something that they do provide yeah that's definitely good to know and i think your point about asking sometimes to escalate it to someone a bit higher up that can often help and you do have the right to do that and i think sometimes we can feel a bit uncomfortable about being like 
can I speak to someone else? But, you know, this is your right to access to information. So I think certainly with things like tax, you really want to know what's going on. Definitely. Um, so we've probably got time for uh, one, maybe one more uh, comment or question if anyone wants to raise their hand to bring something up. But I guess while, while we wait, it's probably worth also pointing out that, you know, we, we, you, know you might think, oh, well, why, why would I want these letters in Braille when I can just use, you know, my Seeing AI or OpenBook or OmniPage to, to scan stuff in? Well, actually, you know, for stuff that has uh, important numbers on them, you know, uh, like IDs where you've got mixes of letters and numbers. All it takes is for the scanning solution that you're using to get one of those characters wrong. And then the whole the whole thing is useless. And so I, I had this when I first uh, moved into my flat on my own. I thought, right, I'm going to go completely paperless. You know, don't want anything at all. Um, and that didn't work. So I said, right, well, send me, you know, just send me paper then if you have to. And so I got stuff in paper and I thought, right, it'll be fine to just, I'll just scan it. That won't be a problem. I had loads of problems with numbers. The scanning wasn't working at all. And I found that even though my Braille reading isn't actually that good i mean it, it's it's good enough but i can't read quickly even for me as not an overly fast braille reader it was still actually a lot easier to get the stuff in braille um than it was to get it in print and then scan it in even though i am a bit of a sort of techie person and so i default to technical solutions so something worth thinking about definitely yeah and i think it's worth mentioning that particularly like OCR apps are getting much better but particularly if you're trying to handle a table or something that can often get really pulled out of order and so I wouldn't want to unless I really knew the quality of the software I was using rely on an OCR app to read a table of information which could potentially be very very important. Yeah, definitely. And even things like postcodes, you know, one, mm. one misplaced. I mean, it's your typical sort of zero versus O type thing. Yeah. Um, anyone, you know, if you write to an address with, with the wrong postcode, then in theory, it just doesn't get there. Um, got uh, going to squeeze in Alan Thorpe with uh, a uh, comment and then we'll pass back over to Holly and Dave to finish up. Uh, hey, Alan, you are unmuted. Hi. Um I suppose it's more comment about having signs and things produced for toilets and hotel rooms and so on. Where do we put those signs? And I produce tactile maps and, and talk to companies all the time, but where do we put them? I'm six foot two, um, but to, to put my hand on a door, Braille needs to be six foot four high so I can read it. But like somebody, somebody in a wheelchair needs it three foot high, three foot six high. Do I put it in the centre of the door? Do I put it inside the door by the hand door handle? It's just an absolute minefield. But yes, we should be asking for the Braille site. But where best are? Yeah, it's a really complicated well, it, it's an answer that there isn't a good answer. My answer is that actually there needs to be consensus made. And I don't know if this is something where there is actually consensus, but nobody's following the guidelines or whether actually those guidelines don't exist. In which case, I would suggest that actually we do have a Braille authority. Um, and no one's going to like me now. But um, 
I would say that actually, you know, this is something that, that should be worked on because it's relevant very much to Braille users. And whilst it isn't actually about the code in terms of well, how do we write this, it is massively relevant to how the community accesses Braille. And I do think some kind of best practice needs to be created because we have this with tactile paving. There is best practice around where to place tactile paving, for example, and that exists for a reason. Yes, you can't force people to follow that and lots of people will mess it up. But actually, I do think some solid guidelines need to be made. And this is something this is like something I've been going on about for ages. And it's something I feel very, very strongly about. Definitely. Thanks for that, Alan. Uh, some great questions and comments this uh, this evening. Uh, but I think that's pretty much what we've got time for now. So uh, over to Holly and Dave. Well, I'll just wrap up quickly before I pass back to Dave. Um, it's been great talking through these strategies. I really hope it helps some of you. And, you know, I will be producing a handout for this session. Some of you may have noticed we're still missing a couple of sessions on the website. There's still some notes to be put together. Um, but, you know, keep checking out the media page, braillist.org slash media, and everything will go up, recordings, handouts, and then in the end, transcripts as well. And... On Thursday, we have our book club. On Friday, we have the event about the census. And then next Tuesday, we have um, just a chat about the Braille library. So there's still lots of things happening, even though this current series of masterclasses has now finished. It isn't an end to Braillist sessions. So, you know, keep looking at our newsletter and don't worry, we are doing things. And I will pass on to Dave. Yeah, and we'll let you know through the newsletter uh, when that extra material is uploaded to the website. Um, and also, if you have suggestions of uh, masterclasses that you'd like us to run in the future, please write to help at braillist.org. Um, I just wanted to pick up very quickly on Alan's question about where do you put the Braille sign? And there isn't official, you know, sort of building regulation or guidance on this. But to me, the logical place where you would put braille signage is a place where you would discover it naturally with your hands. So near the door handle uh, would be my preference. And uh, I know some companies already do that and put braille near uh, the door handle because that's somewhere where your hand is naturally going to be. And I'm, I'm not sure how many people actually go around, you know, massaging doors at kind of eye level looking for braille signage. So, so I would, I would advocate for, for braille signage to be at the level where your hands are in the set for the same reason that you would put print signage at the same level as eyes but there you go that's just my my thought on that um thank you so much holly for these masterclass sessions excellent job tonight and and throughout the series we uh, have really uh, appreciated having you and i hope you're not going to disappear and that you'll still be around the braillists uh and long into the to the future thank you everybody uh, for your attendance and feedback and participation and great questions there, there would be no point of course were it not for all of you so thank you very much um do share the resources that we make available through the braillist website and stay tuned to the newsletter for future events and uh, and stay in touch uh and from all of us on the team uh thank you very much uh to ben who i think has pretty much moderated all of these sessions or all but one maybe i think um, i missed you, you, one but apart yeah from that, but yeah. um you pretty much stayed the course and matthew's uh, quite often been there in the background with his expertise as well so we we very much appreciate both of you guys so uh thanks very much everybody uh take care uh, stay tuned keep uh, advocating for braille and uh, we'll be in touch very soon from all of us at the Braille's foundation uh, from me dave williams and the rest of the team bye for now